Last week, as we have celebrated the Lord's Supper, and as we have prepared ourselves or began the preparation for Easter, we looked at a very, very, very difficult theme. And I know it was difficult because I, I heard comments through the week about it. But one of the things that we have talked about and one of the reasons why it was so difficult is because we have looked at a passage and a theme about who God is and how He responds to sin and the meaning of the cross being that the, in the cross of Christ, Jesus averted the wrath of God. And we have looked at the theme of propitiation, a word that is hard to spell, hard to pronounce, but the most difficult reason behind it is not its spelling, it's not its pronunciation, but its meaning, the very idea that God had to be propitiated, that His wrath had to be satisfied, is a concept hard for us to understand. Well, today I want us to continue uh, on the same notion, to continue to explain the implication of the wrath of God, and why is it that it's important for us to understand it. But today I would like to talk about a, a slightly different theme, and both today and next week, it will be, it's like, call it branches that are, are taking off from what we have talked about last week. And even though next week it will be uh, Palm Sunday, I just want to let you know that we will be con transitioning, continuing the theme that we have uh, begun last week. Well, today I would like to talk about a different nuance of the meaning of the cross of Christ. And usually when we talk about the cross of Christ, we emphasize what the cross of Christ does for us, what it accomplishes for us. But there's also another reality, and there's a reality that the cross of Christ also accomplishes something for God. And last week when we talked about the cross of Christ canceling or satisfying the wrath of God, the focus was on what the cross of Christ does for God. Well, today, the subject we're going to talk about today really affects both what the cross of Christ does for God and for us combined. And the topic I would like to address today is a topic that apparently is less difficult. It's easier to understand. But friends, it is hard for God to deal with it. And it's a theme of forgiveness. The theme of forgiveness. And I will talk today about the problem of forgiveness. Would you open scripture to Colossians chapter 1? And the sermon today will really be from verses 13 and 14. But I'd like to read from verse 9 to understand the context uh, behind this passage. So Colossians chapter 1 reading from verse 9 to verse 14. And here's the word of the Lord for all of us today. Paul says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this, in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, 
growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let us bow our heads and pray and ask the Father to give us light, to illumine our hearts and our minds to understand this word. Let's bow our heads and pray right now. Father, we thank you for another day. We thank you for another Sunday in which we are drawing close to you and we want to hear your word. Father, as we are celebrating and as we are preparing our hearts to celebrate the greatest event in human history, we pray that you would use this text, this passage, to illumine our hearts and our minds. I pray that through the Holy Spirit, you would be with us in this very moment. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, these words that we have read in Colossians 1 are a famous prayer that Paul gives to the church or for the believers in Colossae. And I have already spoken on the on chapter 1, verses 9 through 12, so I will not be repeating that sermon, but, um, but I'd like to put it in context so that we understand verses 13 and 14, what Paul talks about. He, he prays that the believers would, would grow and be pleasing to the Lord and would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And he describes this walking in a manner worthy of the Lord by giving four verbs, four Four lists, four items on the list. First of all, you, you, you live a life worthy of the Lord by bearing fruit in every good work. Then second of all, by growing in the knowledge of God. Then thirdly, by being strengthened with all power. And fourthly, by joyfully giving thanks to the Father. Four things, how we can walk and live life in a manner worthy of God. But I'd like to focus on the last transition because Paul says the fourth way in which we, we walk life worthy of the gospel of the Lord is by giving thanks to the Father. Now, why would we give thanks to the Father? And it, verse 12 says, because he had qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints. Now, that word, qualified, is a very interesting word that's very different than the word we use today for qualifying. When you and I talk about qualifying for something these days, we usually talk about qualifying for a loan, or we qualify for a promotion, or we qualify for, for a, a deal that somebody's going to give us. And especially in the financial world, we talk about qualifying for mortgage or for, for a car loan or for something. But when God speaks here and when Paul speaks here about God qualifying us, the meaning is totally, totally different than what, you, what we are used to. You see, when, when you go into a bank and want to get qualified for a loan, they're going to check your credit score, they're going to check your income and a few other things to see if you are worthy enough to qualify for the financial product that they will give you. And if you're good enough, you will qualify for the loan. Well, when God speaks about qualifying us for His, 
kingdom, for his inheritance, it is totally opposite from what we talk about. Because God is not going to check your credit score. He's not going to check to see how worthy you and I are. And based on that, he's going to qualify us or disqualify us for his inheritance. If anything, we are from the beginning disqualified from God's inheritance. And the way God talks about qualifying us for the inheritance is actually not by checking to see if we're worthy enough for him, but very opposite from that. The way God qualifies us and the meaning behind qualifying us is actually to cause to be adequate, is to make us fit where we were not fit. It's be, the assumption is that we are not adequate for the inheritance and God has to make us adequate. You see how these, the two notions are totally opposite from each other? And that is the essence of the gospel, is that God takes us from a situation in which we are not adequate, we're not worthy, we don't qualify for it, and God makes us adequate. God qualifies us. And what is involved in this act of God qualifying us? Look at the way verse 13 begins. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Friends, that is how God qualifies us. He's qualify, his act of qualification, his act of qualifying us is not to see if we're worthy of it, but he sees that we're not and what he has to do is he has to rescue us. He has to take us from the dominion of darkness and bring us into the kingdom of His Son, into the kingdom of light. Now you'll say, how does God do that? What is involved in that rescue process? What is involved in that act of qualifying? And look at the way verse 14 describes it for us. The act of rescue is done because of the redemption that is in the, in the name of Jesus, in the person of Jesus. Verse 14 says, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. You see here, redemption and rescue show up together. They, redemption defines rescuing. And if you remember two months ago when we talked about redemption as one of the meanings of the cross, we said three things about redemption. That it points, and it's not about redeeming miles. It's not about redeeming points. It's something more serious. And it's about the condition of pitifulness, the condition of enslavement in which we're in. It points to the cost that is involved in redeeming us, in rescuing us. And number three, it points to the rights of the Redeemer over those whom He redeems. So you see today, both the notion of qualifying and redemption are totally different than what you, you and I are used to and the kind of language that you and I use in our daily lives. Well, interestingly though, here Paul talks not only about redemption and rescue, but he in, inserts an interesting phrase at the end of verse 14. He says, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now here's a question. What does forgiveness of sins have to do with the notion of redemption? Why is Paul placing forgiveness of sins with the notion of redemption? 
And remember how we said redemption points to the act of rescuing and to the act of paying somebody a price so that you would redeem somebody who is enslaved. Why would you put the notion of redemption, the notion of paying a price to someone, next to the notion of forgiveness? Aren't these contradicting? Aren't these different notions? And today I would like to see and make the following claim, a, a statement that is hard for us to accept. That forgiveness for God is a very difficult thing to do. Let's look today at, at, at four realities, four things. First of all, we're going to look at the meaning of forgiveness. We're going to look at the difficulty of forgiveness. We're going to look at the solution for forgiveness. And finally, at the challenge that divine forgiveness has for us. So let's look at the meaning of forgiveness. When you and I think about forgiveness, what do you think of? How do you define it? And let me read to you a few definitions that I was, I was able to, to pick out this week that usually people use when they talk about forgiveness. Here's one definition. When somebody said, giving up my right to hurt you for hurting me. Here's another one. The word forgive means to wipe the slate clean, to pardon, to cancel a debt. The... Um, Oxford English Dictionary, I went a little more professional and more, more reliable, with more reliable definitions, says this. Forgiveness is to grant free pardon and to give up all claim on account of offense or debt. Here's another one that I found interesting. Forgiveness is the process of ceasing, ceasing to feel resentment, indignation, or anger against another person for a perceived offense, for differences or mistake, or ceasing to demand punishment or restitution. How would you define forgiveness? Would it be in line with some of the definitions that we read here today? Perhaps most of us would find ourselves close enough to, to these notions of forgiveness. Is to cease to Demand punishment or restitution. But if this is our definition of forgiveness, can I point you to the following reality? If we were to take this definition of forgiveness and apply it to God, it would not work. God cannot forgive the way we define forgiveness. Because God simply cannot stop or cease demanding punishment or restitution. I know I already got some of your attention. What do you mean? Well, let's look at the reality that when we talk about God and forgiveness, God cannot forgive the same way you and I usually think about forgiveness. Because God cannot simply decide to say, I'm not going to ask for punishment over sin. This, this brings us to the reality, to this point number two, the problem of forgiveness for God. For God, dear friends, forgiveness is a problem. John Stott, in one of his favorite 
famous books on the cross of Christ has an entire chapter entitled The Problem of Forgiveness. And he says the following, forgiveness, it quotes Carnegie Simpson, he says, forgiveness is to man the plainest of duties, but to God is the profoundest of problems. And here's why. Because God cannot simply pretend that nothing happened. When we think of forgiving somebody, we usually think of, okay, don't worry about it. Somebody wrongs you. Somebody does something uh, that, that hurts you. And when you think of, about forgiveness, you usually say, don't worry about it. Come on, we, we're friends. We can go over this. Don't think about it. And in your mind, in my mind, we just try to say, let's not think about it. But God cannot do that. God cannot stop thinking or putting aside sin. God can't pretend that it's not there. You see, forgiveness for God is a problem. Because God cannot ignore it. God cannot ignore sin. God cannot ignore hurt. God cannot ignore evil. Now when people think about the mercies of God and the, and, the, and the forgiveness of God, here are three scenarios of how people usually think about God's forgiveness. Usually people say, well, we know we're bad people, so we're going to try to do some good things, hopefully to make more good things than bad things, and at the end of the age, day, at the end of the age, God will give us forgiveness because we will have done more good things than bad things. As if God can forgive on whether or not you do more good things than bad things. False. God cannot forgive based on your good deeds being more than your bad deeds. Here's another way people think about God's forgiveness. We know that God is merciful. So, we're going to count that God in His mercy will forgive us. But God cannot forgive us based on His mercy. God doesn't forgive like you and I when we decide to be merciful and say, we're just not going to hold that against Him. No. God cannot forgive based on His mercy. Now, I already got some of you fretting. Here's another scenario, and you, you will really get acclimated and aggravated about this one. People say, well, God is love. God loves us, and He will not let us perish. So people count on the fact that if God really loved me, He will not let me perish. But dear friend, God cannot forgive based on His love. For, for God, all these things are not enough in order to allow Him to forgive. And here's the reason why. Because of by nature... The nature of God is not only love and mercy, but by nature God is a holy God. And by definition of holiness, 
Holiness means there is no sin anywhere close to God's holiness. One of the verses that clearly states that is in 1 John 1, verse 5, in which John says, God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. You, you and I cannot think about the holiness of God and the sinfulness of men in the same picture. They cannot fit together. The smallest ounce of sin does not fit with God's holiness. And here's, here's worse. Not only is God holy and perfect and incompatible with the smallest amount of sin, but God is all-knowing. He knows everything. And then He is all-present. He's everywhere. So the problem is that God cannot pretend sin is not there. God cannot ignore sin. God cannot plead ignorance against sin. That is His nature. That is His attribute. And because of that, there is this big tension in God. On one side, God is love. On one side, God wants to forgive. On one side, God wants to be merciful. But at the second time, on the other side, because He's holy, He cannot simply forgive. He cannot simply dismiss the guilt. That's the problem of God's forgiveness. For God, forgiveness is a problem. His love, mercy on one side, wanting to forgive, but on the other side, because of His attribute, because of His nature, He cannot forgive. As we think about forgiveness. Westcott, one of the British theologians, says the following about God's forgiveness. Nothing superficially seems simpler than forgiveness, yet nothing, if we look deeply, is more mysterious and more difficult than forgiveness. So what's the solution? If God cannot forgive like we do, what's the solution? How is divine forgiveness possible with God? The solution is that forgiveness is possible for God only when His wrath has been satisfied. Forgiveness is possible for God, and we said, why is it forgiveness an impossibility? Because God's holiness and character cannot ignore sin. And not only He cannot ignore sin, but as we saw last week, the natural characteristic, the natural consequence, the natural response that God has for sin is to respond with anger, with wrath. And God's anger, by the way, it is not like our anger, a whimsical anger, a moody anger. You know, we sometimes, have you been around people that are always angry? And you always have to be careful what you say, what you don't say, 
how you say it, because if you say the wrong thing or the right thing with the wrong tone, they might burst in angriness. Impredictable. They are consistently impredictable. But God's wrath is not whimsical. It's not moody. You can count that God, every time encounters sin, He will react against sin with wrath. Because His nature, His character demands it. The moment we would suspend that idea, that thought, that moment we give up one of the major characteristics of who God is, that moment you start worshiping a different God, not the God of the Bible. The only reaction consistently in a, in a very non-moody way is that God consistently reacts against sin by wrath, by judgment. So the only way forgiveness is possible for God is when His wrath is satisfied, when His anger is appeased, when judgment has been made. Now I know you and I and most people have a hard time with this reality. And I know some of the, the children, as, as you're listening today, or if you're a young teenager, and you have heard all your life that God is love, and you're hearing this emphasis that the only reaction God has against sin is judgment and wrath, I know it may sound weird and different, but my friend, that is a picture of the God that Scripture reveals to us. God is light, and in Him there is no darkness. So how can, forgiveness, how can forgiveness be a possibility for God? It can only be possible when the wrath has been appeased and propitiated, when judgment has been made. And you see, friends, for God, forgiveness is only possible when payment has been made. Divine forgiveness is impossible for God without payment. And that's why in Colossians 1.14, in this passage that we read, we see redemption and forgiveness next to each other. Remember how we said redemption has to do about paying the price, the ransom for, for, for rescuing someone? And then immediately afterwards you see forgiveness. And how does paying ransom, paying, making the payment and forgiving deal with each other, coexist in the same sentence? Well, because for God, forgiveness cannot be possible, cannot be made without payment. Further, to be more precise, the, the Scriptures, the New Testament especially, says that the payment that is required to appease sin and guilt is death. Judgment and death is the only response, the only natural result for sin. You say, where do I get that from? From the Bible? From Hebrews 9, 22. It says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Do you understand why God cannot forgive like we do? Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Payment is required if God will to forgive. Here's what you and I, most people might think about. Hold on, Pastor. If payment is required, 
where's the forgiveness? Isn't forgiveness the whole notion? Isn't the whole notion of forgiveness the idea that you don't have to pay? Well, partially. But for God, for you and I, when we think of forgiveness, we think about non-payment. But for God, forgiveness is only possible when payment is made. Here's the reality about how forgiveness and payment fit together. You might say, if we really took God's idea of forgiveness and we adopted it, that means that we have to, to pay. Well, you see, friends, there's always payment in forgiveness. One of the differences about forgiveness and revenge is not the lack of payment. We think of revenge as make somebody hurts you, somebody does something evil to you, and, and you revenge, that means you're going to make him pay back. You're going to do something back to him or to her. And there's payment. Divine forgiveness also requires payment, but here's the difference between forgiveness and revenge. In revenge, you make the other person pay you back for the evil they have caused you. In forgiveness, you make the payment. And that is the essence of God's forgiveness. Because God in His desire and inability to overlook sin, to ignore it, to simply dismiss it, the only possibility for God to love us and to be merciful towards us was to provide and make sure somebody pays for the sin. Somebody pays the penalty. The only way God can, pro can provide forgiveness is if payment is done. And the way God did it is that He paid it himself. And you see, friends, that is the essence of forgiveness. That is the essence of what was required in order for God to forgive us. Matthew 26, 28, in the famous words that we read every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we re remember the words of Jesus as he spoke to the disciples and he said the following, this is my blood, the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is why payment, the payment that God required was the foundation for forgiveness because He paid the payment Himself. The wrong party decided to pay the penalty. And it is only in the death of Jesus Christ that God's wrath and love meet so perfectly together that God can forgive us. God cannot ignore sin. God cannot dismiss sin. God cannot pretend sin is not there. For God to forgive us, payment had to be made. We've looked at the definition of forgiveness, at our definition of forgiveness. We looked at the problem of forgiveness for God. We looked at the solution God had for forgiveness. Finally, what are the implications for us? What are the challenges that this no notion of divine forgiveness brings to us? How does it challenge us? And there are two ways that divine forgiveness challenges us, and here they are. First of all, 
it, re, it challenges us to realign our view of God's mercy and love. It challenges us to realign our view of God's mercy and love. Dear friend, the foundation of God's forgiveness is not His mercy or His love. Remember how I said at the beginning, God cannot simply forgive us because He loves us or because He's merciful. He still, there still needs to be dealt, there, one needs to deal with the fact that wrath and sin and guilt have to be done with. And what this means is that God's forgiveness is not based primarily on God's mercy and love, but on God's sacrifice. That's why, dear friends, the language of forgiveness for God is not words, but sacrifice. The currency that God uses in making forgiveness is not simply by saying, you are forgiven. God cannot declare like He did in the, in the, in the Garden of Eden or as He created the world, let there be light and there was light. Let there be trees and there were trees. Let there be animals and there were animals. God cannot simply declare, let there be forgiveness and there was forgiveness. For God, forgiveness is not a matter of language. It's a matter of sacrifice. And God's forgiveness is based not simply on the fact that He loved us or that He was merciful towards us. But it is based on the fact that He sacrificed His only begotten Son in order to make that forgiveness possible in the first place. What that means for us, dear brothers and sisters, is the following. There are people today who say, I hope God will be merciful to me in the day of judgment. No, He won't. In the day of judgment, there will be no more mercy. Well, I hope God will, will show His love for me when I, when I will face Him face to face and and that he'll find a way for me to, to make it in. No, he won't. God has already shown us his mercy and his love when he sacrificed Jesus Christ on the cross. There is no, there's not going to be any more mercy, any more love in the future because God has showed the essence and the bulk of his love, the essence of his love on the cross in the death of Jesus Christ. And the only way you and I can stand the chance of facing God in the day of judgment and hoping God will be merciful to us is if we're going to say and look back and say, God, the only hope I have that you would allow me into, my, into your heaven is not your mercy or your grace, but the fact that you have sent Christ to pay the penalty for my behalf. That's the only chance we have to stand before God on the day of judgment. God will not forgive us because of His mercy or because of His love, friends. God will show those to us, will forgive us only because of the sacrifice that He had given us in Jesus Christ. People today have a hard time coming with this, with this concept, understanding this reality. They hope that they're, if they're good enough in this life, if they're going to be good enough people, if... 
if they really believe that God is love, God exists, and God is merciful, and they're going to use that card against God, friend, you have no chance of using the card of God's mercy and God's love on the day of judgment. God has already showed that to us in Jesus Christ. And the way you respond to His mercy, the way you respond to His love, the way you respond to His sacrifice in Jesus Christ, that's what will determine whether or not He will forgive you. So when we understand divine forgiveness, it realigns our view of God's mercy and God's love. Let me ask you today, are you hoping and banking on God's mercy and love in the day of judgment? If today you find yourself hoping and banking on that, may I say to you gently, you might be banking and hoping on a false promise. If you have been here, if you have lived your life so far with this idea that God will be merciful, God will love me, God will find a way to get me in. If you're here today and, and you live with that impression, I want to tell you, dear friend, because God has already shown His mercy, His love for us in Jesus Christ, if you have not come to respond to that mercy and that love, to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, you have no chance of making it into heaven when God will bring the day of judgment. But today, I don't want to bring just a message of condemnation. I want to tell you, if you're here today and you're breathing, and you hear this message that God has given us the, the love and mercy in Jesus Christ, He's giving you an opportunity to respond to Him today. So on the basis of that sacrifice, of that mercy and love that God has described and exhibited, you and I can face a righteous and holy God and be pardoned of our sin. At the end of the message, I'll, I'll encourage you to respond to Him. If you have not yet responded to this Christ, to this sacrifice, you'll have a, a chance today. But let me give a second implication of what this divine forgiveness means for us. Not only it realigns our view of God's mercy and His love, it realigns our view of true forgiveness. Only when we understand how God forgives do we understand how He calls us to forgive? Unless we understand the essence of divine forgiveness, we cannot really forgive others. Have you heard the phrase, I'll, I'll forgive you, but I won't forget you? Oh, I'll, I'll let that go by this time, but I won't forget. That's how we forgive. But that's not how God calls us to forgive. Whenever, you see friends, whenever somebody wrongs something against you, whether it is by speech or there's an evil act they do against you, whether they do it intentionally or unintentionally, they always cause some hurt to you. Whether the hurt is small or large, there's always some hurt. There's always some damage that is being done. Now, there's two ways you can react to the damage. You can either respond back and do damage yourself, whether actively or passively, whether immediately or later, by keeping it in and, and, and building up resentment, or rather than making them pay back, 
you decide to pay it yourself. When you and I think have these two options of either making somebody else pay back or you paying it yourself. When you and I think about that second option of forgiveness is the act of not only taking the hurt but paying it yourself. That's when you and I really practice forgiveness. You say, how do you do that? How do you pay it back to somebody? Not to pay it back to somebody, but how do you pay it so that you don't make the other person pay it back to you? Here's how. When somebody hurts you, and you have a tendency to, to take it back to them and, and find a way to, for them to pay back, and you refrain from that and say, no, I'll be paying that. I'll pay that tab. I'll pay that debt. You're telling your ego who wants to say, get your right back. Tell them who you are. Tell them what wrong they have done. You tell your ego, ego, today you will be crucified. Today you're going to be put on the cross. That's how you pay the debt. You tell yourself that desires to, to, to make revenge and to, to respond back in anger, say, nope, today I'm putting you on the cross. And in that sense, you are the one who pays the debt. Now you say, hold on, but even if I do that today, it'll come back tomorrow. Yes, of course it comes back tomorrow. You know why? Because most of the time, the debt we're called to pay and the penalty we're called to pay is larger than we, we can pay in one, one payment. It's like payment plans. You have to pay it monthly, sometimes weekly, sometimes daily until it is paid in full. Sometimes it is years that you have, uh, until you have to do this payment, until you tell yourself, no, ego, you will not demand that other person to pay you back. You will pay this yourself. So that when somebody wrongs you and you want to respond back, you don't. Why? Not because you ignore it. Not because you pretend it's not there. You are actively telling your ego, I am paying this. That is forgiveness. Forgiveness always demands payment. It is either the other person will pay it or you will pay it. But friends, you and I cannot ignore hurt. You and I cannot ignore the damage that has been done to us. You can either ask it back or you can absorb it. As one pastor said it, forgiveness is about absorbing the cost yourself. You cannot forgive without absorbing the cost yourself. And that's why the currency of forgiveness is not words, but sacrifice. It is not in the words, I forgive you, that you declare somebody forgiven. It's in the sacrifice that you make in the payment that you make yourself instead of demanding it from somebody else. Now, when you and I pray the Lord's Prayer, there's a phrase there that often puzzles me. And often when I come to that phrase, I say it with caution because I might be bringing upon myself condemnation. There's that phrase in the Lord's Prayer, and forgive our debts, as we forgive our debtors. 
that phrase is not telling God to forgive. It's not teach, trying to teach God how to forgive us. There's something more powerful there. What we're telling God is, Lord, as we are practicing forgiveness, the forgiveness that you taught us, do so unto us as well. Now, do you realize how would God forgive us if, if he forgave us the way we forgive each other? Would you want God to forgive you the way you forgive others? I tell you, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Because so many times, my forgiveness, the forgiveness I do, is the non-sacrificial words-only forgiveness. And if that's the forgiveness God would grant me, I would be going straight to hell. That's why when we think of God's forgiveness... God not only realigns our way of seeing God's love and mercy, but He is realigning the way we see forgiveness and the way we forgive each other. Because He is teaching us to forgive each other as He has forgiven us. And when we read that phrase in the, in the Lord's Prayer, forgive, forgive our de debts are we, as we forgive our debtors, we are simply challenging ourselves to make sure that we forgive the way we want God to forgive us. My friend, the forgiveness of God is a very hard reality for God. It's not as simple as we make it. It's not as easy as it appears to us. Because in God, both love and mercy and His judgment and wrath have to meet together. But friends, when you and I are called to forgive, God calls us to do the same. Mercy and love and payment to be made in the same act. Can I ask you today, what's been your idea? What's been your notion of forgiving, of forgiveness? God has showed us what it means to forgive. Today, if you're here today and you have not realized, you missed this notion that for God, forgiveness is only possible when payment is made. And the great news is that God has made the payment so that you and I don't have to make it. That's the gospel. Have you responded to the gospel? Have you responded to the one who made the payment for you? Let's spend the next 30 seconds of our time responding to the Lord. And as the music will start playing, we'll be bowing our heads in prayer. And if the Lord has spoken to your heart, if the Lord has spoken to your soul, and today you realize that you may have lived with a misunderstanding of God's forgiveness, perhaps you may have lived with a misunderstanding of the forgiveness that God calls us to exhibit, and you would like to bring your, yourself to God and ask for forgiveness, and ask the one who has sacrificed for us to really forgive you too. If that is your wish and desire today, let's spend some time in prayer, and let's I want to give you a chance to respond to him. So music starts, spar heads in prayer.